0: Let us pray. Dear God, here we are once again. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would move among us. And we pray for a fresh infusion of your grace in our lives and in our world. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Shall we do show and tell again this morning? <laughs> in our home, we have a Noah's Ark uh, made by a carver in China. And it has all of these intricate animals from Noah's Ark, elephants and zebras and kangaroos. And this one is my favorite giraffes. I think for all kids, the story of Noah's Ark surely has to be one of the most captivating stories in the Bible. We actually get to imagine spending 40 days inside a boat, inside a boat with every kind of wild bird and animal. It doesn't get better than that. But the interesting thing, I don't know if this has happened in your life, But at some point, we begin to look at this story and our thoughts turn to the people and the animals outside that ark. And we perhaps begin to ask, does this story's portrayal of divine violence really fit... with the God revealed to us in Jesus Christ? Are there really some people who are outside of the ark, outside of God's circle of care and concern? Does God really give up on people? Now, we don't know when the Israelites first began to tell each other this primordial flood story. But we do know when it was very, very likely written down to be shared with people like us 3,000 years later. It was during the Israelites' very traumatic time of exile in Babylon. Remember a few weeks ago, we talked about Babylon being this tremendously generative time for the Israelites, for the Jewish people, in Babylon, in what is Iraq today. Six centuries before Jesus, they were trying to understand the fall of Jerusalem. They were trying to understand the destruction of their holy temple, God's very home here on earth. And they were trying to understand why they had been hauled off hundreds of miles to faraway Babylon. By writing down the story of Noah, they were trying to make sense of the flood-like chaos in their lives. Are you with me? By writing down the story of Noah, they were trying to make sense of the chaos... In their lives. And I wonder if they were also wanting to give expression. To some very new things. That they were experiencing. And discovering about God in Babylon. Look for example. In our reading today from Genesis. At verse 13. Where God says this. I have set my bow in the clouds and it shall be a sign of the covenant, We see that word up there, of the covenant between me and the earth. Now friends, the bow here, of course, refers to the rainbow, right? That we often see appearing up in the sky after a rainstorm. But interestingly, in Hebrew, this bow also refers to the one, the kind that shoots arrows. God is hanging up God's bow. And in Babylon, were the Jewish people slowly learning That they worship a God who's committed never to use violence to cleanse the earth of its violence? And what exactly is this covenant word that is up on our wall today and that God speaks to Noah in our passage today? This covenant that is made with Noah's family and every animal and bird. It's not a word that we use much anymore, is it? Covenant. A covenant, it's been said, is an agreement. Not unlike a contract, save for one minor detail, it's completely unlike a contract. Let me say that again. A covenant is an agreement Not unlike a contract, save for one minor detail, it's completely unlike a contract. You see, contracts, and we could ask Elvin about this, are conditional. They're limited. And they are generally entered into for reasons of self-interest. They are legal documents that can be used against you if you violate their terms. In contrast, covenants are not legal, they are sacred. When people fail to follow through, God's covenant remains in place. With God's steadfast love, there are no statute of limitations and in God's covenants with Noah, and then later on with the children of Israel, and then with us, the new covenant made with all of humanity through Jesus Christ, we learn that God's fundamental orientation toward us is one of enduring commitment and tenacious love. We learn that God does not Love us because of who we are, but because of who God is. Come what may, God's steadfast love for us endures forever. Now, if you're like me, you want to pretend that somehow we can divide the world up between the good people and the bad people. And the story of Noah seems to suggest that we can at first, doesn't it? The good people are inside the ark, the bad people are outside and they all drown. But wouldn't you know it, right after the flood, what happens? Noah goes on a bender of drunkenness, abusive behavior, and placing a curse of slavery on his own flesh and blood. And who, of course, many centuries later will use those, that curse of slavery to rationalize their own brutality of slavery. Our own people here in the United States. On your bulletin cover today, you can see that our Lenten worship theme for this year is upside down and inside out. And no, this didn't come from Diana Ross's 1980 hit. Anybody remember that? Upside down, inside out. Baby, you're turning me. Although I think it does... Is Jonathan here this morning? No, he's not. Well, then we can really make fun of him. It does kind of look like maybe he has it on the CD player as he was posing for this uh, picture. Now, the interesting thing is where does this theme come from? Our Lenten theme is drawn from our Scripture readings during these six Sundays of Lent which are focused, and listen carefully here, especially on those who are already inside God's family. Like Noah, who are already inside the ark. And these scriptures challenge and ask us, what does renewal look like for those of us who are already committed. It's so easy to focus on the other folks who need to change their lives, but how does renewal happen for us? Those of us who may follow all the rules, but still struggle with indifference toward the suffering of others who may feel that our place in God's family is something that we have rightfully earned. Gosh darn it. Instead of something that God has so lavishly given us. During this season, we are being invited to let ourselves be turned upside down and inside out, or depending on your perspective, right side to take a second look at what we thought we knew, what we thought was already decided, to be amazed and renewed again by grace. In our reading from 1 Peter 3, we see the depth of God's love for us and for all people. Verse 18 makes a special point of saying that Jesus suffers in order to bring us to God. On the cross, Jesus doesn't shake an angry fist at us, but reaches out with nail-pierced hands to bring us home to God. And then... I don't know if you heard that verse. After he dies, verse 19 says that he even goes down to make a proclamation to the spirits in, in, not in heaven, in what church tradition has said, hell. Even those locked in their hell, hell of alienation and isolation are not cut off from His saving proclamation, Jesus shows us that there is no one outside the ark of God's care and redemption. But accepting God's grace is not always an easy thing, is it? What did Peter yell when he first met Jesus? Get away from me. Grace can leave us feeling completely out of control. Undone. Disoriented. It requires us all to come out of our prisons of tit for tat, measuring and comparing. It puts us all on level ground with the people that we used to condemn. Grace, it's been said, is such a humiliation to the ego. It can leave us feeling upside down and inside out. Let me just give you a little example from last night. Many of you know that we have a new dog and we're uh, struggling to... uh, let this dog out, bring this dog in, and still lock the door afterward. And last night, after our family had had some fun together, I was walking around the house to close up, and the door was not only unlocked, it was ajar. And how cold was it last night? And so I yelled out, hey, family, we have a problem here. Somebody let the door open. Who was it? And we reconstructed the events. And you know who it was? It was me. That's kind of how grace is. We have a problem. It's not you or they. A quote I love to keep in my office goes like this. The truth about humanity, the truth about you and about me, is that we often need God's grace most when we deserve it the least. And only God can fulfill our incredible need with a grace that is so deep that it saves and heals us from the depths. Only God can do this. Let me end by drawing our attention to what our dear Pope Francis said this last week. I'm getting in the habit of quoting the Pope very regularly, which will... uh, Please, a certain member of our congregation. (laughs) Well, did you hear what the Pope said this week? He's calling on the whole world's followers of Jesus Christ not to give up chocolate this year, but to give up our indifference to the suffering of others. And then he said this that really caught my attention. In giving up our indifference for Lent, he said, let us each actually express this in some tangible, this-worldly way that other people can actually see so that it's not just some kind of interchange in our hearts and our minds that never impacts our world. Quoting one of the early church teachers, he said, no matter how much time you spend fasting, if you do no good to others, you do nothing great. So in two weeks, our church will be hosting the women's winter shelter at the Y... Last year, I confess that going there and sleeping on a mat in a back room pretty much turned me inside, upside down and inside out, discombobulated. But I've decided that's what I need for this year again to sign up. And I invite you to join me as well or maybe to choose another act that helps you to tangibly express your compassion to those in need. Whatever you do, whatever I do, whatever we do, may we show the world that there is no one outside the ark. Nobody is outside the ark of God's love and concern. Amen.